as I was thinking about uh, Jonah chapter 2 and reading through that this week, it made me think about um, Johnson shut-ins. I don't know if you've been there or not, but it's a, it's a neat little state park that's about an hour and a half from here. And growing up, uh, my family and I, we used to go there periodically. And the thing that's really unique about Johnson shut-ins is there's rock formations that are in kind of this small river, and they've just been smoothed out enough over time that you can, you can get on these rocks and just kind of slide down them like a slide, and typically it'll drop you off into just kind of a small pool of water that usually you can stand up and it's not real deep. And so we would, as kids, we would have a great time sliding down these rocks and going into these little pools, and, and for the most part it was, it was safe and, and we had a great time doing it. But one time when I went up there, um, I kind of, and I'm kind of a cautious risk taker, I kind of make sure like this is probably going to work out. And so I, I would kind of look and see like where is this going to drop me off? And, and uh, I got on one of these rock slides and, and I, I looked over and I saw, hey, that's just a kind of a small pool of water like all the others and I'm sure it'll drop me off and I'll probably just stand right up. Well, I was wrong. And um, I slid off of this rock slide and as soon as I went down the other side, I was fully submerged in water over my head. As a kid, that, that surprised me and scared me. And then on top of that, though it was just for really probably a second or two, I could feel the water beating down on my head, continuing to kind of push me under that was coming off of the rock. It was a terrifying experience. It, it felt like a long time. It was probably two or three seconds. But I can still remember how that felt of feeling like I'm under the, I'm under the water and I might not be able to come up. And I have to think that in a sense, that's kind of where we find Jonah today, is he has been tossed overboard, and he is being driven down deeper into the sea in what looks like no possibility to come back up. So with that being said, if you have the ability, and you would stand with us, we are going to read Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you and into your holy temple. This is God's word. You can be seated. <clears throat> So the first thing I want to look at with you today is what happened inside of the sea. What happened inside of the sea? So the sea had ceased raging above, right? If we look back at chapter 1, verse 15, um, the sailors picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, but it seems that the sea had not ceased raging below. We kind of get this picture, though, of when Jesus stopped the storm, that 
that it stopped immediately. Whenever he said stop, it stopped. And it was a miraculous thing, and the disciples were in awe. And kind of in the same way we see the sailors, they're just in awe of, wow, this storm just stopped. At least above the water, it stopped. But as I was reading through this this week, it seems that that storm just goes down under the water, chasing Jonah as he is sinking. And as we read through chapter 2, we see some things that Jonah says that leads me to believe that. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says that the floods surrounded me. The NASB calls this the currents. And it seems as if Jonah is just being tossed around, flipped around in a current, maybe just kind of like a rag doll. I, I thought of when uh, one time we took a vacation to Mexico to visit some family friends down there, and we went to a place called Acapulco, which is a big touristy kind of place. But Getting out on the beach and in the water at Acapulco was very dangerous because it had a very strong undercurrent and a strong undertow. And in fact, if you got up to water about knee deep or a little bit higher, it could just sweep you right out. And one of the boys that we were visiting, he made the mistake of getting a little bit too far out. And all of a sudden, that current just swept him out and we didn't see him. The next thing we saw was his feet sticking up. And it's like, whoa, and we were able to get him and bring him back into safety, but all to say that a current underneath the water can be very strong, and Jonah is experiencing this flood, this current that's probably whipping him around as he is going down into the water. In verse 3, it says that your billows and your waves passed over me. Um, the billows and waves, uh, we picture a wave as breaking into the shore, but these billows and waves, they were no longer on top of the sea, they were between Jonah, who was in the sea, and the top of the water that was now peaceful. And again, it's as if the storm just switched locations and is driving Jonah down into the water, crashing on top of Jonah, pushing him deeper and deeper into the sea. I almost picture like a cartoon character that has a rain cloud that's just following them around. They're just having a bad day. Wherever they go, that rain cloud just stays over the top of them, and it seems like that's what's going on with Jonah. He just can't escape God's judgment and the discipline of God. As Eric said a few weeks ago, okay, Jonah, if you, you don't want to listen to God's word, then you're going you're gonna to see God in his works. And that's exactly what Jonah is experiencing. If Jonah had any doubt about the powerful judgment of God, he didn't anymore. It's almost as if God was saying, you want judgment to come upon Nineveh? Here's what judgment from God feels like. Are you sure you want someone to experience that kind of thing? And Jonah was getting a strong dose of it, but God was not going to just let Jonah go. In verse 5, he says that the waters surrounded him, the deep closed in on him, weeds were wrapped around his head. Verse 6, he says, I was down in the foundations, the bases of the mountains, these currents, these waves, these billows within the sea, this storm within the sea, they're driving him down further and further and further near the bottom. That means he's losing air. Um, that means he's close enough to the bottom that seaweeds are hitting him. And there's, there's some seaweeds out there. I did a little research that can reach up to 100 feet in height. So it doesn't mean he's necessarily scraping the bottom, but he's getting closer. And he feels like he's at the bottom. He feels like he's at the base of a mountain sloping down into the sea. These weeds are wrapped around his head. This is a, a terrifying experience. In verse 3, going back to verse 3, says that he has been cast into the deep and into the heart of the sea. And he felt as if the earth's bars had closed behind him forever in verse 6. So I think oftentimes we, we picture Jonah going into the water, and uh, at least for me, I picture him almost immediately getting gulped up by this fish. Well, that wasn't the case. I mean, he's sinking for a while before that happened, getting 
turned and tossed about by the sea. And some people might kind of wonder, well, how could he make it that far down? I mean, he probably had to go pretty far down to be close to the bottom. And uh, we don't really know how deep it was in this spot, but uh, I did a little research on free divers. Maybe you've heard of free divers. These people are nuts. Okay, they, they dive as deep as they can go without equipment. So, so basically what a scuba diver does, but they are just holding their breath. And come to find out, free divers can go 250 to 300 feet down and come back up and live. That's crazy. I was just kind of wondering, like, has anybody tested the human body to see how deep somebody could go? Amazingly, uh, they remain alert, they stay conscious, as their heart rates drop to about 14 beats per minute. And, and free divers will describe this as like, it's just a euphoric feeling, man, when you're down there. Jonah was not experiencing euphoria of any kind when he was down there. We don't know if he was that deep or not, but he was feeling anything but euphoric. And I would say Jonah was terrified, he was disoriented, and hopeless. And he was near death at the bottom of the sea. Sometimes we don't picture it that way, but that seems like that's what's going on. And as it noted in previous messages, you know, this is God's drama. Like, God's in control of all the details. God decided, now Jonah's going to sink for a while. I'm going to make Jonah go down into the ocean for a while. And Jonah realized this in verse 3. He said, your billows and your waves. He knew that it was God who was driving him down into the depths. It was no coincidence that God let him sink. And just when he probably thought, all hope is lost, here I go, a giant fish comes and swallows him up. And so our second point today is what happened inside of the fish? What happened inside of the fish? And I don't want to linger too long here because as one man said, I was so obsessed with what was going on inside of the whale that I missed seeing the drama inside of Jonah and inside of his heart. So we don't spend too much time about what was going on inside of the fish, but I think we all have questions about that. I know I've had questions about that. A few questions that I want to address are, was this a whale or was it something else? Another one would be, is it possible for a human to be swallowed by a large ocean fish and actually survive? And then a third one would be, is if somebody could survive that, what would it be like inside of that fish? So the first question, was it a whale or something else? And we don't know what sea creature it was. The Hebrew word here is dogaw, and it just means fish. So we see this in other places in the Old Testament, and it's just referring to fish that people eat at a meal. So it can be a really small fish. It can be a big fish. We know that this is a big fish, big enough to swallow a person. But we don't know what type of fish that it was. There's a, po a couple possibilities that have been rendered. Um, one of them being that this could have been a rhinodon, also known as a sea dog. And this is a type of shark. But it's interesting. This is a shark that feeds on plankton. So this shark does not have sharp teeth like your average shark. And it can grow up to 40 feet in length. And so I got up here on the stage and I stepped that off just to kind of figure out how big that was. And it's from about this corner of the steps over here to this, a little bit further than this corner over here. So if you look at that, that's, that's a big, big fish. Could somebody fit inside of that fish? Yeah, somebody could fit inside of a rhinodon. The second and more popular um, opinion is a sperm whale. And... The average mouth and throat size of a sperm whale is 20 feet long, 15 feet high, and 9 feet wide. This is like a large living room. So you couldn't just fit Jonah. You could fit Jonah and a bunch of his buddies in there all at the same time. 
So, is this possible? Could this happen? Could someone fit? Yeah, someone could fit inside of a large fish, a rhinodon, a sperm whale, or who knows, it could be just a species that normally doesn't get big, but because God appointed this fish to get big and go get Jonah, he could have done that as well. So we don't know for sure if it was a whale, but that seems like a pretty fitting option. The second question, could somebody survive this? I mean, is this possible or is this just silly, you know? And I've got a real easy answer for that one. And the real easy answer is yes. And you might say, well, why do you think that? Why is that so easy? Well, it's because I believe in the God of the Bible. That's why. And I say that kind of sarcastically. And it seems that skeptics have such a hard time believing that someone could live for three days and three nights inside of a fish. That's just one that's just like, that's just ridiculous. You Christians are really dumb to think something like that could happen. Like, well, we're dumb for a lot of other things then, too, because we think there's a God of the universe who just spoke and everything just existed after that. He created everything. Uh, we believe in a God that, that sent a flood as a judgment that covered the entire earth. Well, that's, that doesn't make sense either. We believe in a God who parted the Red Sea so Moses and the Israelites could go across. That doesn't make sense. He parted the Jordan River for Joshua and the Israelites to go across there too. That doesn't make sense. He's slain armies just by confusion or by sending one angel to kill thousands and thousands of men. Well, that doesn't make sense either. Uh, Christ was born of a virgin. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, he healed the blind. That goes against natural, the natural order of things. He made it to where people who couldn't talk could talk. He made it where the lame could walk. If we believe in a God that can do all that stuff, it's real easy for us to believe, yeah, he can keep a guy alive for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, right? It's not that big of a stretch. Additionally, on top of that, Jesus validated this as a real historical account in Matthew 12, 40. Jonah was in a fish for three days and three nights. That's what Jesus said, so... Let's take his word for it. really did happen. But if you're more of kind of a Mythbusters type person, if you've seen that show, that's kind of how I am. You just kind of wonder like, okay, I, yeah, God's a God of miracles. We believe he could do that 100%. But is it, is it naturally or even scientifically possible? And it's not likely, and it is definitely a long shot, but it does appear that, yes, it is possible a whale has an air-filled sinus cavity apparently large enough for a man to fit inside. So someone could possibly stay dry and survive in this cavity. In fact, a very strange account exists about a dog that went overboard uh, from a ship and was lost at sea for six days, only to be discovered alive and barking in the head of the whale six days later. Wow, that's crazy. But apparently it happened. Now, there are two accounts of men being swallowed by one, a rhinodon shark, and the second, a whale, around the, 20th, the turn of the 20th century. Now, these accounts are hotly contested because Christians want them to be true. Non-Christians want to say that's ridiculous and that's a hoax. So we're not for sure if these accounts are true or not, but a lot of people talk about these like there could be some truth to them. And in both accounts, and one man has a, has a name, James Bartley, I think it was, that in both of these accounts, men thrown overboard from a ship, they were gone, nobody saw what happened to them, and when the shark and the whale were captured two days later, they were cut open and the men were found alive inside. Both went on to survive and live out the rest of their lives. So, is it possible, maybe even by natural means? Yeah, it could be possible. Possible, but not comfortable. Our last question is, could a man survive in a fish for three days? And what was it like if he was in there? 
Some scientists have said that inside of a whale, you'd be talking 104 to 108 degrees. And that's stagnant air with horrible digestive odors. And think about this, too. I, I wasn't really thinking about this, but like Jonah didn't, most likely, didn't eat anything in there. I guess he maybe had some options, but odds are he didn't eat anything inside of this fish, and he didn't drink any water for three days. So he was forced to do an all-out fast in extreme heat for three days. And right now we think it's getting hot because it's low 90s, and I go and mow my grass, and like I'm dying of thirst whenever it's done. I, I need to come in and get a drink. Jonah is in this sauna that is in the depths of the sea, and he's sitting there scared, hungry, thirsty, tired, crammed, dark. Jonah's not reading a book. There's no lamp like you often see in children's books, pictures. There's no table. There's no lamp. There's no chair. He's in the dark and in a, just a disgusting situation. And this type of situation would make you absolutely sick and driven to despair. And that's what we see in Jonah in his prayer in chapter 2. So all this to say, could it happen? Yes. Was it com a comfortable stay for Jonah? No. Um, but something more miraculous happened inside of Jonah than that of what happened inside of just the fish and Jonah being able to survive that kind of thing. What happened inside of Jonah is our third and our last point. What happened inside of Jonah? And it, it took me a little bit to kind of make sure of the timeline here as I was reading through this. And obviously Jonah wrote this, you know, after it happened. And there's some language, present tense and some past tense in there as he looks back on his experience. But verse 1 tells us that then Jonah prayed. So the word then is kind of a time-based word, right? So when we Look at the end of chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. So it, it, it took him that long to pray this prayer. He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. It took him that long to pray this prayer? I kind of think, seriously? It took you that long to get here? Wow. And we see in verse 7, at the end of the three days and three nights, his soul fainted within him, he remembered the Lord, and this is when his prayer went up. And so after his prayer finally went up to the Lord and ended in verse 10, it tells us, so the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's like God was waiting for this prayer, waiting and waiting and waiting for this prayer, and Jonah's like, no, I'm not going to give it. So, safe to say, Jonah's a stubborn guy, and it took a lot to change Jonah's mind. So, first of all, he sent to the depths of the sea a terrifying experience of nearly drowning. And the way he talks about his seeking experience, it's just filled with despair and terror. You see it in verse 5, the, the waters surrounded me, even to my soul. That's like a drowning victim giving up hope. In verse 6, the earth's bars closed behind me forever. That's a picture of somebody being locked up with absolutely no shot at being set free. Verse 4, I was cast out of your sight. A feeling of just abandonment by God. I, I, I've run too far. I can't go back now. I've blown it, and God is just done with me. Have you ever felt that way? That's how Jonah felt. God's done with me. I've been cast out of his sight. Verse 6, 
his life was brought up from the pit. Kind of makes me think of the story of Joseph where he's thrown in a pit and there's no way for him to get out. And Jonah knew there's no way for me to get out of this. So Jonah sinks like a rock to the verge of death. And that is traumatic enough, right? But then this big fish comes by and swallows him up. And so he's swallowed up by this fish. And we know that he was ready to die. He wanted to be tossed overboard, right? In in chapter 1, verse 12, he suggested death to the sailors. So he was ready to die. We see again at the end of the book, we'll get here eventually in chapter 4, verses 3 and 8, he asked for death again. And he says, it's better for me to die than to live. But one thing I bet that Jonah thought of during those three days is, I can't even die the way that I want. I can't even die the way that I want to. God's even in control of that. And his sovereignty is definitely on display here to Jonah. As the psalmist said in Psalm 139, 16, And in your book they were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Every day that I was going to live out, every day Jonah was going to live out, every day that you're going to live out, it's already been written down. God has already determined the day of our death. He's determined when, how it's going to happen. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. Not one sparrow is even going to die apart from the will of God. So over the course of the next few days, Jonah believed that the belly of the fish was going to be his new grave. So I'm not going to die the way that I thought. Apparently I'm going to die in this fish. And um, it says in verse 2, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And that's the place of the dead. Um, We see David talk about this in the Psalms, like in Psalm 86, 13. He says, for great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. So Jonah thought, well, this is just my, this is how it's going to go down. This is my new place of death. And remember, we know how the story was going to end, but he didn't. I mean, Jonah was not a fish scientist. He, he had no idea, am I going to suffocate in here? Uh, am I eventually going to be digested by this giant fish? Am I going to be spat back out into the sea and drowned for real this time? Jonah had no idea. But one thing that he did know is he was as good as dead. And I wonder if something that God used was the fact that he didn't die and that he continued to stay alive as those days went on, those hours and days went on, that Jonah started to think, I'm still alive. Why am I still alive? Maybe God is not done with me yet. But all the while, as he's toiling through this difficult experience, thinking, doing whatever he's doing in there, He's not praying. There's no, pray, there's no prayer that's prayed. Nothing. And then finally, and eventually, after three days of his affliction, his affliction overwhelmed him, and in verse 1 it says, he cries out to the Lord, and he remembers that the Lord is his God. I think that's interesting that he doesn't say the Lord God. He says the Lord, my God. He's not somebody else's God. He's mine. And when his soul fainted within him, he remembered the Lord and his prayer went up into his holy temple or into the presence of God. It's as if Jonah was so hardened toward God and so settled in his defiance that in his approaching death, well, I guess it's just all over, he forgot that God's presence is always near and always available. He forgot that God is one prayer away and he considered himself, I'm, I'm cast out of God's sight, I'm a lost cause. Uh, There's no way that I can turn back now, and I'm as good as dead. 
But he forgot that in the very pit of death and Sheol that God could hear his cry. I'm reminded of Psalm 103 where it seems that no matter where I go, I can go to the depths of, the, of Sheol. I can ride on the wings of the morning. Wherever I go, God's presence is there. Ben talked about this last week as he read Acts 17, verses 26 through 27. It says, God in his sovereignty has appointed times and places for people to live. But why has he done that? Is it just because he's, he's power tripping and I'm in control of all this stuff? No, it says, so that they could seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So Jonah is lost in the darkness of the fish, but he's also lost in the darkness of his own heart. And he's been groping through the darkness there, trying to figure out and find his own way and a different way to make things happen and make things work. And I don't really want to do it God's way. I want it to work my way. And I'm going to try this, this, and that. And none of it has been working. And then all of a sudden he realizes, God is not far from me. God's presence is even here and has been here all along. And I think at this time it's really easy for us to criticize Jonah and to think, and what a hard-hearted, stubborn man. It didn't just take a near-drowning experience going to the bottom of the sea. It didn't just take one day in a fish. It didn't take two. It took three days in a giant fish for him to finally come to his senses and repent. And we can look at that and we can think, wow, that is just crazy and unbelievable that God has to do that much to really change somebody's heart and change somebody's mind. But I want to pose the question as we close today, is it, is it that crazy to think someone could be so hard-hearted and so stubborn that God doesn't have to go to great, great lengths to try to open their eyes and to break their heart? Isn't that something that we do too? We do that. Maybe in smaller and more subtle ways, but we do that. I do that. And, and maybe you've been there. I've been there. And, and maybe you've been there recently. Maybe it was last month. Maybe it was last week. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're there right now. You're just stonewalling God. It's like, I know God wants me to do that, but you know what? I don't want to. And we can be just as hard-hearted and stubborn as Jonah. Proof of that can be seen in things like this. Well, maybe there was an argument you had with your spouse or a friend or a parent, and you're just not going to give in because it's my way or no way. And the pride that dwells in our hearts can be like, it has to be done my way. That's pretty stubborn, right? That's pretty hard-hearted. We might see it in other ways like just justifying some ongoing sin and just we explain it away like it's not that big of a deal. It's not affecting that many people. And Well, if I wasn't around this person or in this situation, I wouldn't struggle so much with it. I would change. might be things like justifying losing your temper at your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, or maybe just losing your temper with God himself because things are just not going the way that you want. Well, that's, that's pretty prideful. That's pretty stubborn and hard-hearted, isn't it? Maybe it's justifying the fact that yeah, you know, when things get tough, I don't, I, I don't always turn to God. I, I turn to a person or an app or a game or a food or a substance or I turn to a computer screen. And, you know, that's when I, I really I find comfort, even though really I know that I should be going to God first and he's the one that's going to provide the comfort and the peace that I need. He wants to take my burdens, but I, I, just, I just don't go there first. I just don't do that. Well, that's, that's misguided. That's wrong, right? 
Maybe, maybe justify my lack of desire or even just laziness to, to get more serious about knowing God and knowing his word and praying and praying for others and serving in the church or getting more connected with other believers. And I, I just make excuses. And when things slow down, I have more time. Well, then I'm going to make that a priority. But you know, God's prompted me to do that right now. And I'm just choosing not to do it. That's, that's fairly stubborn. That's hard-hearted. You know, and for Jonah, it just took him a few days. Of course, he went through some very difficult trials, but it only took him a few days to come to his senses and repent. And I wonder if for some of us it's taken years for us to come to our senses and repent. And God prompts us to do that. We're like Jonah. We're just like him. I'm just like him. Maybe in smaller and more subtle ways, but we can have the hardest of hearts and we can stonewall God and we just assume die a death of our own choosing than to obey him and follow his ways. I'm just being honest. I go there sometimes, and I bet that you do too. So before we're quick to point the finger at Jonah and be like, wow. And we even know how the book ends, right? It doesn't end well. He's complaining again. He's wishing for death again. But do we not go through that same cycle at times in our life? We do the same thing, complaining again, need to repent again. Yeah, we all do. It says in Romans 3, 10 through 12, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can become so prideful to tell the God of the universe, Can you just back off me a little bit so I can just do it my way? We all do that. And just like Jonah, we all deserve punishment for that attitude. We all deserve punishment for the actions that go with that attitude. But we need to remember Acts 17. God is not far from each of us. In the hope of the gospel, we grope for him and we will find him. When we come to the end of ourselves, just like Jonah did, we can cry out to him and know, he's there, he's going to hear my voice. I'm never too far gone. Even if I feel like I'm in the pit of death, I'm never too far gone. He's there, and he will hear me when I have a repentant heart that turns toward him. John assures us, uh, assures our hearts in 1 John 1, 8 through 9. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you might think, well, how can he justly forgive us our sins if we deserve punishment and we deserve death? How is that just then to forgive us because we don't deserve that? Well, the previous verse tells us how. In verse 7, John says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Our lack of repentance, our hard-heartedness, our stubbornness, our pride, and those actions and attitudes that go with us against God, those are worthy of punishment, they're worthy of death. But Christ took that all upon himself. And he declares that you trust in me and my sacrifice, you will be cleansed. You will be forgiven. You will be restored to God. So our hope lies in the gospel and the kindness of our God. His kindness, his patience. He has such great patience with us, doesn't he? Ephesians 2 says he has such great love. We are dearly loved by him, even in our struggles. So the miracle that happened inside of Jonah, that happens inside of all of us every time our hardened heart repents. And each time we repent, we're brought back to the beauty of Christ, his great love for us, and what he's done for us on the cross.
So my challenge for you this morning as we close is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Is God speaking to you today, calling, to you to, calling for you to repent of something? And I want to encourage you, don't wait to do that. There is never going to be a, a better time than right now. And if you hear his voice, do it. Know that God is near. Come before him honestly like Jonah did. Come before him humbly. Come before him admitting that you've been wrong. He will hear you and he will restore you. Let's pray. Father, the amazing thing about your word is so oftentimes we see ourselves in it. We see ourselves in the characters. And Lord, it's, it's so hard for us not to see ourselves in Jonah. It's so hard for me not to see myself in Jonah, complaining, griping, arguing with you about what's best, disobeying, being hard-hearted, being stubborn. I do that, God. I think we all do that. And it's really a miracle that by your grace, you... You soften our hearts. You're so patient with us. You love us so dearly. You're, you're willing to wait. You'll discipline us while we wait, but it's for our good. And we're so thankful that you don't give up on us. You continue to pursue us in hopes that we might grope back for you, the God who is already there. I pray for each one of us that's here today, God, if there's something in our lives, in our hearts. We just need to get real with you. We need to repent of that stubbornness and that hard-heartedness. And we need to just lay that down to you. I pray that that would happen before we walk out of the doors today. And we pray this in Jesus' name.